On this episode of Leadership Lessons in Health System Pharmacy, you will hear from Dr. Ken Josephchek, Director of Centralized Pharmacy Services at the Baycare Health System in the Tampa region, as we discuss extemporaneously compounded pharmaceuticals and a 503B facility experience in a pharmacy enterprise. Hi everyone, and welcome to Leadership Lessons in Health System Pharmacy. I'm your host, Dr. Robert Weber, Chief Pharmacy Officer and Administrator of Pharmacy Services at The Ohio State University Wexner Medical Center. Powered by The Ohio State University Lachalet Leadership Program, this show is designed to keep current and aspiring health system pharmacy leaders up to date with issues, trends, and best practices affecting our profession. You can learn more about the Lashley Leadership Program and the Ohio State University's College of Pharmacy MS in Health System Pharmacy Administration and Leadership by visiting go.osu.edu forward slash pharmacy leadership. That's go.osu.edu forward slash pharmacy leadership. Prior to joining Baycare, Ken was Director of Pharmacy at both Memorial Health University Medical Center in Savannah, Georgia, and at West Virginia University Hospitals. Prior to that, he was Assistant Director at the Medical University of South Carolina. He received his Bachelor of Science degree in Pharmacy from Wayne State University and is a proud graduate of The Ohio State University, where he completed also a residency in health system pharmacy at the Ohio State University Hospitals. He has been recognized with multiple awards, including the Jack LBO Post Baccalaureate Award, the Georgia Society of Health System Pharmacists Pharmacists of the Year, and most notably, the 2012 Clifton J. Lachalet Award. So I'm really happy to have Ken Josephchuk today as our guest. Ken, welcome to the show. Thanks a lot, Bob. It's uh, good to be here. I've, I've listened to these podcasts and now it's nice to contribute. Oh, excellent. Well, thank you so much for taking the time, Ken. I mean, it's really great to have uh, you as an OSU alumni and also somebody who's really experienced in this whole field of 503B pharmacies and 503B issues. And so hopefully today uh, we'll clarify some basic concepts about 503B compounds and then really get your uh, advice and experience about leadership skills it takes to navigate, which is some sometimes a very complicated uh, area. So, so let's start out uh, talking about what is 503B? What is 503A? What is 503B? I mean, you hear those terms. And for the listeners on the show, just to give some very foundational information about what what those terms mean. Sure. I think the easiest way to think of it, Bob, is uh, in the area of sterile compounding. If you have a prescription tied to a uh, or a medication order tied to a drug, that would be 503A compounding. Okay. If you're going to do things in anticipation of orders, um, you know, batch production and that kind of thing, that's, that becomes 503B. Okay. So when... Uh, you know, back after the NECC tragedy. Yes. Uh, that that was really the, uh, uh, you know, the straw that broke the camel's back, uh, so to speak. And uh, that's where this legislation came from that established 503A and 503B. So I think, uh, you know, it goes back a lot longer than that. But 
you know, all the way back. I think remember you we're both old enough to remember uh, uh, Travenol's Compass program and those oh, kind yeah. of, you know, yeah. and that was really kind of the, the start of all this. But I think it really took NECC for the uh, for Congress to get involved and say, you know, we got to get our arms around this and put this under the FDA. Yeah, and for the audience's benefit, NECC was uh, 2012, correct? Uh, correct. Right. Maybe you could describe briefly what what happened with the New England Compounding Center. Well, I, I guess the the best way to put it is you just had an organization with very little control, and uh, you know where business practices um, outweighed patient safety or business motives, I should say. And uh, what happened was the uh, this company, which really was pretty widely used uh, by hospitals and clinics and doctor's offices throughout the country, um, sold a variety of medications that were often uh, those medications that were hard to get due to shortages and so on. And, uh, you know, one of them was uh, a methylprednisolone uh, that was used in uh, back injections or spine injections. Um, and uh, it ended up that this product was contaminated with fungus and there were just, you know, uh, just multiple, multiple deaths and injuries on top of that. It was a real tragedy. It was. Uh, sure was. Yeah. And so that, that, that really put in place an emphasis on these, these companies, so to speak, that do this extemporaneous compounding. And, and then as a result of that tragedy, uh, legislation was passed to better control that, right? So, um, so let's say I'm a so so let's say I'm a director of a pharmacy. Well, what would be some examples of extemporaneously compounded products that I would purchase from a 503B? Uh, uh, there's facility? yeah, there's a pretty big range of those products, and some uh, some directors of pharmacy are much more aggressive in in uh, using these products and others, certainly with the advent of the uh, uh, restrictions of USP 797, or, or I don't know if I should call them restrictions, but anyway, the standards of USP 797, a lot of directors saw 503Bs or outsourcers, as we call them, mm -hmm. as an alternative to making a lot of procedural changes and, and capital investments trying to meet 797. Within, so, within their pharmacies. Exactly. So they figured you know, one way to offload a lot of this risk is to give it to someone else and to uh, to move that volume and outsource those drugs. So things like, you know, uh, OR syringes are certainly a big area, but it also, you know, antibiotics, uh, critical care drips, um, often narcotics, epidurals. Uh, there's a whole slew of, of medications you can get from a 503B. So, um... I'm assuming to purchase medicines from a 503B, you have to have a contract, right? And these contracts are negotiated at a certain price. And so I know the Joint Commission has been focused on this in its surveys and, and wants to look at hospitals' policies and procedures around selecting 503B vendors. So what, what, what can you tell us about the Joint Commission's view on 503B facilities? Well, I think it's both the Joint Commission and, and uh also a, a level above that with CMS. CMS, okay, good. Yeah. Uh, you know, they, they want to look at and see what your criteria are 
for choosing a 503B and, and especially on the CMS side, they want to see a contract. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, that's often, I think, early on where a lot of hospitals were kind of blindsided and, and not prepared to, uh, you know, to produce that kind of document. Um, but uh, that's certainly, you know, where they, and it makes sense. I mean, you want to have uh, uh, an agreement between yourself and the, uh, the, you know, the provider of those medications, uh, knowing exactly what, what quality standards do they have. And so do, would you recommend then sort of routine inspections of a facility if you're a director of pharmacy, if it's obviously a facility that's close by, but I mean, what are your thoughts about pharmacy departments and directors physically going to a place? Yeah, I'm, I'm probably the other side of what, what a lot of people think on that. And I, I'm not sure I see the value. And the reason is, I'm not sure that most of us, most pharmacy directors are really uh, well-versed in what to look for. Got it. Got I, it. Okay. I can remember I took a, uh, a visit. Uh, it was actually to Pharmidium, you know, which no longer exists. So I guess I can talk about them. And uh, they had a just a tremendous facility that I visited up in New Jersey. But in walking through it, um, you know, I think you could really understand that, boy, I'm, I'm not sure, you know, it's, this is almost like manufacturing as opposed to just traditional right. hospital clean room work. So I, I think uh, hopefully in many cases, I think you can rely somewhat on your GPO because I think they're probably in a better position to for one, visit many 503Bs, and there's some value, I think, in being able to compare. But if you go to one 503B, you know, maybe it's close by and you're thinking of using it, I'm just not sure you can really look at it. And for one, you're not going to see, you know, where the sausage is really made. You're going to see what they want you to see. Sure. And, and that brings up a really good point for the folks on this pod, listening to this podcast, is that, you know, the... GPOs do, do have a very specific focused and very strict guidelines, most, most GPOs. So really, if you are a member of a GPO, Visi and Premier, uh, you should really be looking to them for the expertise. And that was really the reason. So it was a bit of a question that I was asking to sort of bring out a, uh, an idea and that uh, really actually going to a facility is really not going to, to, to help. It's gonna be more beneficial to rely on the GPO's expertise. So uh, you've answered that question. And that, I, I, th I think that's valuable because I think people get caught up in the trap of, oh, I went to see it, but did you actually find what you were looking for? So, yeah, exactly. Um, so, um, you know, obviously 503A and Bs or 503Bs have been in the news in terms of just the whole NECC issue. And, and obviously there's a focus at CMS and the Joint Commission and, and it's been something that pharmacy directors have sort of bantered back and forth about in terms of how to best uh, provide fi these various products. Some folks are thinking about doing things internally um, instead of using 503B facilities. And what you've chosen to do at BayCare is to uh, basically put together a state-of-the-art facility that will manage these products, not in, only for your health system, but for other health systems, correct? No, well, sort of right, Bob. We, okay. We're we we're, uh, very uh, limited in our scope. We're, we're just worried about BayCare. So we're a 15-hospital system that's uh, 
located in uh, the Tampa Bay area, we, we go from essentially the Gulf of Mexico to uh, Winter Haven, which is not real far from Orlando. So where we're situated with the BayCare Central Pharmacy, where the 503B is, we're, uh, I think, 45 miles from the furthest facility and about oh, 14 or 15 miles from the closest facility. So we're in a pretty small geographic footprint, and, and our, our mission really is just to provide for BayCare. Although there, it's a funny thing because I get at least one call a week from uh, doctor's offices and ambulatory surgery centers and so on throughout the country. Got one from California on Friday. Wow. Wow. Just wanting to know if we can make, you know, do you, do you make HCG and do you do this? And it's, oh, wow. uh, yeah, it's quite a quite a market. Well, I mean, it's a testament to, you know, at least you guys getting the word out about it and, and the reputation of a baycare. You know, as the 503B facilities ran into issues like Farmedium, for example, I'm assuming uh, providers out there are looking for sort of high quality places that they can possibly get products from. So so you're focused mainly on the Baycare system. So kind of give us a history, like how did this all come about? Like what, where, where was the vision and strategy and sort of take us from the beginning of this whole project, you know, how it started, how you got to Baycare to do it and, you know, those sorts of things. Yeah, well, I got to give some of the credit to, uh, I, I've been here since May of 17 and, and this idea started before me. Okay. So the original, I think the original request uh, to to create this concept of it's more than just a five hundred three B. It's a central pharmacy operation. Um, and I really, should probably clarify, Ken, for the for the folks on the podcast. Yeah, as you talk about it, maybe you can describe the entire situation. Sure. Because you're right. It's not. It's not just a five hundred three B. Sure. So back in, I think it was as early as fourteen and fifteen. Uh, Mike McGee, who's an old classmate of mine at Ohio State, uh, Tim Lahamadou, who came some years after us at, at Ohio State, and then Grant, Glenn Grazios, who's our director of the West Region here at Baycare, and Anna Lamia, who's our other director um, of shared services, uh, they put together a, a pro forma to come up with this concept of a, a centralized pharmacy service. So, so the whole idea behind it, and we uh, we often use this statement. We say, you know, what what can 15 hospitals together do better in a central operation than they could do 15 times decentrally? Right, exactly. And that was the whole idea. So uh, they got rejected a few times. Then finally, in, in 2016, our buddies on the supply chain side in, in MedSurge uh, built out a 200,000 square foot warehouse facility, a uh, state of the, of the art distribution uh, network that uh, sends out pretty much all the med search supplies for Baycare. So there was some shelf space left in there. And so, so the team jumped on it again, the pharmacy team, and they put together a performa again. And uh, I don't know if they just kind of beat them down from going at it so many times, but, but it was approved. Um, so the whole idea behind this place was it was going to have a multitude of services. We we're going to have um, um, centralized purchasing, uh, not necessarily the housing of drugs, but the decisions and the uh, right. to purchase. We were going to have our medication assistance program, both drug replenishment and the community benefit where we would service patients throughout the region, even if they weren't ours. Right. Um, 
there was going to be a uh, 503A concept where they were going to, uh, uh, we were going to prepare uh, TPN that was currently outsourced um, yeah. and, and do it here. But we were going to do uh, unit dose packaging. Uh, we were going to do low unit and measure uh, distribution for some high cost drugs. Specialty pharmacy was going to be out here and all these things. And, and, of, and of course, the 503B. So all these things were put together in the pro forma and uh, finally it was approved. So I was then brought on in uh, May of 17 to, uh, well, take what they got approved and run with it. So um, some of those things I just mentioned were realized and some of them weren't, you know, we realized some things couldn't be done. The whole idea of 503A and 503B in the same facility uh, really wasn't viable mostly because of what the FDA ruled. So I got rolling on, uh, uh, you know, finishing the build out or the plans were in place and they handed me a set of blueprints on my first day and said, you know, go do this. <laughs> so uh, I, you know, took it and made some changes and made some more changes and started calling people throughout the country. Uh, that, that was one thing and certainly a lesson for all the residents i you know i had a pretty good idea of who had a central operation with pieces at least of what we wanted to do and you know some people i knew really well they were really i consider pretty close colleagues and others i didn't know at all but i called them all <laughs> so you know you know what it's like bob when you call somebody in this this uh this profession they call they call you back and uh, and they talked to you. So uh, that was really, really, I, I put together a list of about 20 questions and I just went through the list with everybody. You know, what, what worked and what didn't. And I took their best ideas and threw away the things they said not to try and that kind of stuff. And um, then we, we actually got some consultant help because um, also learned that there were some things about this that were, um, maybe a little bit beyond the scope of what I, what I knew, um, you know, especially on the CGMP side, you know, the current good manufacturing practices side, which is really the, the hallmark of 503B. So on that side, I, I got some help and uh, we started building uh, around late fall of, uh, of 17. We had most of it built out by summer of 18. Uh, then we start fixing the things we did wrong and we got registered with the FDA in uh, June of 2019 and by August of 19 we were distributing products to the hospitals Wow so did you <clears throat> so you came there you were you were first first of all if I could just back up just a second what what was what why did you take the job if you don't mind sharing I mean what, <laughs> what was it about the experience? And I guess the reason why I'm asking is because, you know, folks on this call are offered on this podcast, probably offered opportunities that they may not seem to be the best fit for them. But so what was your what was your thought thoughts about uh, taking the job, if you don't mind sharing? No, no. It's, I mean, if you from a career standpoint, I've had I've had a few positions since leaving uh, leaving the residency. I've never uh, I've stayed at each job. I guess a minimum of eight years. I yeah. was eight years, nine years, 16 years. My last position, I was director at Memorial University Medical Center in Savannah, Georgia, which is a place we really loved. Uh, 
it's hard to leave. Uh, but it was at a point where I, I kind of looked at, uh, you know, what I had left in the tank and, uh, you know, I, we kind of, my wife and I sat down and said, uh, you know, if the right thing comes along, we, we need to probably take a look. And so right along that time, uh, Mike, Mike McGee called and said, Hey, I got this idea. And, uh, I think you'd like doing this, you know, and I start listening to him and talking about it. And I said, well, yeah, you know, I'd like to come take a look. And, uh, that's, that was pretty much the story right there. I, uh, we came down here like Tampa, uh, St. I mean, uh, Baycare was really, a uh, pretty incredible organization. Um, so it all fit together. And then this whole idea of doing something that was so unique, you know, if you look at, um, if you look at the list of, of 503Bs, there's about 75 of them, Bob, in the country that are registered with the FDA. And there's only six uh, that are uh, health system based. Wow. So <laughs> this was pretty unique. And we, we really thought, um, talking to, to Mike and the rest of the leadership team, that there was something here that was going to be really, um, really a feather in our cap and, and something that we could um, really build on. So, you know, we jumped on it and uh, I, it was a good decision. Glad I did it. Well, and they're very, they're very lucky to have you, uh, in my opinion. So let uh, me tell you, tell you just a funny story about that though, Bob, you know, I was, uh, Mike, Mike and I were talking about this on, uh, on Friday. Um, when I interviewed the, one of the panels they had me meet with was a group of managers from Baycare and the pharmacy. Uh -huh. And, uh, one of them said, well, have you ever done this before? <laughs> and I said, well, not only have I never never done this before, but I'm not sure anyone else has either. So, yeah. you know, what, what does it matter? So, uh, you know, I thought thought back a little bit to like when uh, when Cliff retired. What did he do? Right? Yeah, he didn't. Yeah, I mean, he hadn't he hadn't done really. He had worked at Strong Memorial or Strong in Rochester, but he was. You know, he really didn't do what he did when he came here before, right? No, and then, and then, but what I mean is, when he left Ohio State, I believe he went to work for uh, Mail Order Drug Association, didn't he? Well, he actually the Managed Care Pharmacy Association. In fact, they have the award. The last that's right, that's right. The Lashley Honor Medal is given on an as ad hoc basis to somebody who makes a huge impact in managed care. So, what people don't know about Cliff Lashley is that he left Ohio State here. And went and essentially designed and developed the vision and strategy for what is now currently mail order and PBMs. Yeah. I mean, and and that's to me, and I wouldn't say it's a bigger feather in his cap, but it does it does show, I think, the graduates and shows should show everybody that, you know, the Ohio State, you know, um, the Ohio State philosophy is really to, you know, do things in a way that promotes excellence and that's what cliff always did and he went from you know here to there and really designed and developed something that has long lived and grown and really benefited millions of patients after his death so yeah you're right i mean trying something different is really important so people listening to this pot particularly the residents if you get an offer one day of something and you think that's the craziest darn thing i've ever heard don't think it's so crazy. <laughs> That's right. You graduate, you can do just about, we train you to do just about anything. So, um, 
Well, that's a, that is actually is an interesting story because, yeah, I mean, it was something you had never done before. So, I mean, was that was that scary to you? Was it exciting? Like, how did you feel about that? Um, I think it was more exciting than scary. Um, oh, okay. I, you know, I, I don't know, maybe I was naive there, but, um, you know, it was really, uh, I mean, it, if I showed you the pictures, I, I might have done this when you came down here, but I, it was just a wide open space in a I warehouse. Did, I, did, I did see the pictures. Yeah. I think you had them on a wall or something. You might have yeah. Them. Yeah. So there, that was it. I mean, you know, there was nothing there and they, like I said, they handed me some blueprints and I started meeting with the architects and engineers and said, well, let's move this here and this here and we've got to do this differently. And, um, you know, so it was just, uh, it was really fun. And, and if I recall, you, you have a very good team that works for you down there. What, what, are, what are, what, how, like, how did you choose your team? What was some of your criteria for choosing your leadership? Your, you know, you're not only your leadership team, but some of the folks that work in the area. Right. Yeah. That was, uh, that was really important. You know, the, um, the whole idea of 503B is, is uh, molded around what they call guidances. You know, the FDA put, puts out these guidances. It's, it's funny because they say these are not binding, you know, but <laughs> yeah, they're binding. And yeah. one of the th things they make really clear in the guidance on CGMP for 503Bs is that you have to have a separation between operations and quality. Mm. So you have to invest in quality. Um, you know, as, as, as its own unit within the department, within, within the pharmacy. And so, um, that one scared me a little bit. Yeah. And so that was my first hire. So I, I interviewed some people and I said, boy, if this is the best it's going to get, I'm in trouble, you know? And then all of a sudden I had a, a woman appear, um, who was, uh, she worked at a pharmaceutical company here in Tampa and, uh, you know, we, we started, we brought her on board. She was great. Um, she brought on another of her coworkers. Um, so we built that part of the department and that, you know, that was really key. And then after that, I started looking for pharmacists and techs. And I, I really had one rule when I brought them in and, um, it, you know, if they told me that they knew all about this stuff, then I wasn't interested in them. So, if they th if they thought that they you know they had been involved in IV production in a hospital or or a home health care company or something, I wasn't interested in them because I was really afraid of not being able to to break them of bad habits. And and what I wanted was somebody instead that came in and said, "This is really exciting. You know, I want to learn this together with you." And that's that's really what happened. I, I was wow. able to hire three pharmacists. Two of the pharmacists have a combined uh, 50 years with Baycare. Oh, jeez. And they were looking, uh, they lo were looking for something different. Um, and you know, this, I think, it really rejuvenated their careers. Wow. And, and then uh, on the technician side, you know, I was I was able to. I actually hired one technician that scared me a little bit because I thought she was going to be this one that I couldn't break. Yeah. She's still with us today and just fabulous. So, um, yeah, that's how I built the staff. And, and for the most part, we've been pretty stable, a little turnover in the technician reigns, I guess, like everyone else. Yeah. Um, but we have a really good team. 
So where's your operation at today? What what where where are you at? Are you where you wanted to be? Are you producing products? You're yeah, we're we're making uh, five sterile products. Uh, uh, we make we have a really unique production model that um, somewhat hinders us, but I think really adds to our quality. We make every every product we make here is made either on a uh, IV robot um, or it's made using IV production software and gravimetrics. Oh, wow. So we weigh every product either by a robot or by a human being is weighed as, as it's produced. Um, so it's really a, a very high quality product. We, we, uh, we're making about 12,000 units of sterile products a month. Mm. And uh, the, the interesting thing is when I go back to the, to the pro forma, we're actually a little bit beyond the number of units. They had more, they had more drugs. So they thought we were going to make more different varieties of drugs, but we're making more units uh, just due to growth. And so, uh, you know, I'm really, really pretty, pretty pleased with that. The other parts of the, of the uh, central pharmacy too, are just really successful. Um, the medication assistance program i mentioned Anna Lamia, she's over that and, and they're just bringing in uh just an unbelievable amount of money every every month on on drug replacement which is so consistent with you know with the 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 values of baycare as far as you know being uh sure community focused and sure. and uh so that's been real successful the purchasing program has really done well as far as standardization of ndcs across the system and you know, optimization of, of, of our formulary. And uh, now we're getting pretty heavy into low unit of measure. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and packaging, believe it or not, something that's not the most elegant thing to be, right. you yeah. know. I know that. Yes. We're, but we're doing, uh, we're doing about 150,000 units a month um, on the packaging side. So it's, it's wow. a really busy operation. And we're putting out a package that... Uh, looks as good as any drug companies so it's uh it's we're we're moving really very well well that sounds excellent so you're so this is so where you envision this play the place to be many places it's uh some places it's ahead some places it's about on par so generally you would consider it a success right what yeah I'm, I'm pleased where we are you know we there's always um you know the hospitals obviously want us to do more which is nice but, um, you know, they, they look to us for some answers. And um, one of the things that's stopping us, though, I think is, uh, and this is kind of the other part of the job when you said, you know, is it, uh, you know, invigorating or exciting? I can't remember what you has, uh, said, but. Exciting or scary. Yeah, scary. That's right. That's right. The, the one thing that I have tried to keep on the front burner of this job is the whole idea of ad, advocacy. And so I have a vision for this that maybe is a little different than uh, than other people, and certainly different than the FDA's. And I've uh, I'll give you an example when when we when COVID was at its peak, uh, I'm sure your ICUs were like our ICUs, and just you know just over the brim with patients, and your staff was stressed, and and you know you had all the issues with PPE and everything else, a logical solution to that problem uh, in terms of, you know, pharmacy workload, um, one piece of the solution should have been us. Right. So we, sh we should have been able to jump in for Baycare 
and make all those critical care drips in small batch sizes that were that fell under, let's say, USP 797 instead of CGMP and respond to it. And there's no avenue to do that in the current rules within uh, 503B. Um, you know, same with drug shortages. When we have a, a drug shortage, you know, the, the FDA is really in a quandary what to do. And they keep asking a question, what can we do better? And all their answers kind of point to how bulk APIs handled and so on. And what I try to explain to them is in a large system like ours, if we could just take the stock that we can buy commercially and centralize it, we could decrease waste, get every, you know, we could get every ML out of that product, every, every vial that we buy and really have, you know, kind of a solution to some of those drug shortages, um, things like that. They, they need to be more responsive yeah. and, and, uh, you know, so I keep hitting them and, uh, I'm in every open session they have, and I think they know me by name now. And and that's uh, you know that's the other thing that we're trying to work hard to uh, working with our government affairs people. And oh yes, trying to get some relief. What would you say uh, are the leadership skills you that that you learned and grew in as you assumed this new role? Um. Well, there's a few. One is, uh, you know, I mentioned the consultant. So I think it's really important that you know what you don't know. Right. And and not be afraid of that. Um, That's valuable advice for people listening to the podcast. Do not be afraid of admitting that you don't know something. Yeah, there's there's some areas where you have to defer to to expertise and, and that's important. Um, the second one that I mentioned a little bit of was about finding talent. Uh, you know, you don't be afraid to surround yourself with good people. And and the example was, uh, you know, on the quality side where I was bringing on people that really had a, a, a book of knowledge that was different than mine. But, uh, you know, just bring them and, and let them run. Um, give them, you know, enough leeway to, to, to do their job appropriately. And, um, you know, that's worked out real well. Um, and and I guess the other thing that you you covered a little bit when you asked me about taking this position is don't constrain yourself. <laughs> Sometimes, you know, when uh, you talk to a resident and ask them what they want to do, and they're focused on one particular thing, you know, whether right. whether it be you know supply chain or or right. finance or clinical services, and um, you know, I think it's really important to. You know, you could you can have a special interest and and certainly concentrate in those areas, but don't uh, you know just don't uh, map your career out of possible jobs that could come up in the future that you might really enjoy. So uh, that kind of leads me to my last uh, question: Is well, what just small piece of advice do you give our residents? Many of them that when they hear this podcast the ones that are graduated will be in there, will be starting their first job. So what, what, what's your advice to our residents, Ken? I guess, you know, just really kind of continuing on that theme of not constraining yourself. Um, you know, that are not only types of positions and uh, avenues within pharmacy practice, but also to ways of doing things. You know, they're going to, they're going to leave Ohio State and they're going to, uh, they're going to have seen, you know, some pretty good ways of, uh, sure. of doing things, but 
that doesn't mean they've seen the only way of, of doing things. Exactly. And and they got to be open to that. Yeah, I think that's a really important point. Is that yes, there is there is a, a there is a way at Ohio State, but there are other ways at other institutions. And I think the skill we teach them hopefully is to take all those ways, put them together, and then make the best decision for them based on what they have learned from us. So. Right. Ken Joseph, Chick, it's been great, Ken, to talk to you as always. Uh, we're, we're very proud of you and your uh, uh, accomplishments as one of our uh, most distinguished alumni. And uh, we, we do appreciate, I do appreciate the time and this very important topic and uh, have a great day. Thanks a lot, Bob. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Leadership Lessons in Health System Pharmacy. And if you found this interview helpful to your own professional development, please do us a favor and share the good news with your colleagues and leave us with a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your podcasts each and every week.